0: back everybody
1: welcome back to the prefer not to say podcast i'm boutique paul and i am daddy master senpai and today is a very special episode because
0: we are finally able to return to interviewing people
1: mm-hmm. back to form
0: <laughs> yeah it's a uh, yeah uh, the covid thing kind of ruined our interviews for last season so we thought we'd you know try to bring it back this season mm-hmm. and today we actually decided to bring on uh, if you remember earlier, we brought on our friend Jessica Lamb, who is a writer for nerdbot.com. Well, today we have a, another person who writes for a website. It's actually a website that he owns. And uh, we actually have the owner operator of Uh And his name is Andreas. Uh, last name is Babilakis, right? Or am I pronouncing that correctly? Oh, wow. You got it first try. You got it first try. It's like you practiced. Oh, awesome. like you wouldn't
2: believe You wouldn't believe the crap that I've heard when it comes to my last name. So thank you. That was perfect.
1: Don't let him fool you. He did practice.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I just, just kind of like sounded it out. I was like, okay. Um, like, I just looked at it phonetically. Like, okay, this is what makes sense. And, and I'm saying the mm. website correct, right? It's Films Fatal, or...
2: Yeah, film's fatale, films fatale. Either way, uh, I, I think it, it works. When people say film fatals it's not quite the same thing. That's actually a feminist run um film industry website, which is not the same I've actually and I seen didn't that know website. existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I purchased my domain, I didn't know that 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 existed and so far it's not been a problem. But um I also don't want to take away from a great cause like that. So mm-hmm. um, right. no the 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 not so great writing is my website. The great cause is their website. So that's the difference.
0: <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. Um there so yeah. Uh I guess uh first off, how are you doing? Fantastic.
2: Oh as good as you can be in such a climate. How are you guys doing over there in Detroit, I believe, right?
0: Uh we're actually in uh Jenison, Michigan. Yeah. Oh in Michigan, yeah. okay. A little west
1: of Grand Rapids. Yeah,
0: we're 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 uh we're not quite Detroit.
1: Mm-mm. Okay. Uh, well,
2: Either way, how's Michigan going?
0: It's it's going Feels good today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't heard of any riots or anything like that today. So, yeah, it's it's so going far, all right. So good. I mean, I'm still working because mm-hmm. I, I was called back to work. Greg still isn't working. He's kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. We're just doing
2: whatever we can do to get by. Right. right exactly.
0: Absolutely.
1: It's all you can do.
0: So, yeah, I guess to start off, uh, why don't you give us kind of like the let's do the Wikipedia bio of yourself you know like the early Mm. life and what you're about like my my entire life story the whole film thing oh
1: maybe a combination of both yeah
2: okay just gotta
0: explain yourself and your background Um, any
1: anything that may have steered you towards what you're doing right now
0: sure okay um
2: okay so in 1989 uh the year that do the right thing came out which is a brilliant film and the greatest film of that year. Um, I say that because I'm still running on that, the five bloods high, the Spike Lee high. So there you go. Mm. I was born in South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. And I lived in Zimbabwe, formerly Rhodesia as well, and moved over here when I was about four to Canada specifically. So um, I've grown up in what's called the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area. So just outside of Toronto for the remainder of my life. And uh, we are very fortunate over here because we have things like the Toronto International Film Festival, very specific film venues that um you can grow up with to watch a lot of movies. So I was in my undergrad trying to figure out what my major was, uh, taking some music classes and stuff, because I went through like a a satanic metal phase when I was a teenager. And that's what I was mm-hmm. interested in was bass and guitar playing and drumming and all of that. I listen to a lot more now, as um, as James, as you know, obviously, through my basting of of uh, music feed on my on my Facebook. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> it was in my uh, my undergrad where I kind of realized I like movies, but I like them a little bit more than I thought. And I liked this new portal because when I was having this metal phase, all I liked was horror movies, and then I realized a lot of them aren't that good. So oh, I wanted yeah. to, to discover things that were actually good, and that's where the fixation started. And then that's when I realized. I love music, but I think I just discovered I love movies a little bit more. I want to do this forever, and that was it. Ever since then, I've been trying to do writing. I've specifically stayed away from the production side of things, but I um, graduated with a with a Bachelor in Fine Arts for uh, Cinema Studies, and a few years later, I did a Master's in Film Preservation and Collections Management, um, photography included as well, but I focus more on the film side of things so uh phd eventually i don't know not in this economic climate but you never know
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know it's kind of interesting that you say like you had your metal phase and then you also lo- like loved horror movies because i kind of put those two subcultures together because it doesn't matter if either either medium puts out bad content the fans will eat it up anyway
2: Oh well, yeah and that's what i learned i learned that um Uh, I don't know how much you guys know about heavy metal, but there's like a certain elitism that comes with a lot of it where, you know, you have to separate all these genres together. This isn't black metal. This is uh, blackened death metal with a twist of symphonic death metal. Like, it gets really ridiculous. And, you know, at the end of the day, good music is good music and descriptions don't justify bad music or things that you might not necessarily be that into. You know, taste is subjective, but there's also just poor quality. So that's why I started to kind of realize that, you know, I wasn't into being confined into all these little boxes. I liked the idea of being open. So it's like, if I like that with my metal, why don't I like that with all of my music or all of my films? And that's when I realized there's a lot to offer with everything. So as you know, James, I, I listen and watch basically everything, as long as I like it
0: right Mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely uh yeah it's actually uh funny because uh when i first found out about you it was actually um our our friend and avid listener john wedge he actually uh he shared one of your articles for when you were writing for the website taste of cinema and i read it and it's like usually i don't just like add random people on facebook but just reading the article is like okay hold on i'll I want to get to know this dude. He seems like he's got interesting taste. And then just hmm. the slight interaction a that you had bit. <laughs> with John, I just was like, okay, this dude seems like he's kind of into the stuff I'm into. And then talking with you, it's like, it was definitely true. Like you, you knew about and consumed a lot of the stuff that I was already into. And you know, it's kind of funny because it's like, it's really hard for me to actually find people who like the things I, I like, because it's like, it just, Kind of borderlines on a little bit too offbeat for people. And it's just really nice to mm-hmm. actually like see other people who are into that stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for that again. Um, I'll ask you a question in a second, but I just have to like uh, reiterate. Yeah. I, sometimes I forget that I like some weird shit. So I'll like recommend something <laughs> or like, like to my girlfriend, I'll be like, hey, yo, we're going to watch Annihilation. Cause like, you know, this film is so spellbinding. I love this. And then after the fact, she'll be like, I don't know what that was, but I'm glad you liked it. Or I took her to see the favorite and uh, halfway through, <laughs> I gave her permission to sleep through it during the film because I felt bad. I was like, I love this, mm. but I can tell you don't with like everybody like throwing up <laughs> into like funny. jars and stuff. And like the the part where the guy's getting pelted with fruits and he's naked. I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know what I brought oh, yeah. you into. I love this, but like, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, do you remember Sometimes- what the article was?
0: Oh, it was uh I can't remember the name of article. It was the article that showed um it was it was the comparing and contrasting of a modern film but uh trailed back to the influences of a former film. Like uh, Oh wow. Yeah, it was uh like one of them was uh how you um there was a comparison between the dro- the driver and Le uh La Samurai.
2: Oh yeah, yeah that okay. article, okay. Okay. I see. And, what you, and mean. you
0: were just going through um and I think I, I actually commented because I was uh um what was it? Uh, Oh, no, I remember I had asked because uh, you didn't include. um, What was it? Um, uh, The comparison between like uh, or the influence between a blow up and blow out and also the conversation. Right, kinda, right. Kind of like how they all kind of like both of the both of the later films took from blow up and that whole like bizarre conspiracy thing. But like it was found through an art form that they just happened to stumble upon. Right, and uh, the whole um, recording of audio and stuff like the conversation. So yeah, and the, and then later in uh, and then later in Blow Up, where uh, John Travolta plays a yeah. uh, sound designer for film, and then you know, which which the execution of that was just so amazing and how they put that together with using like film sound and that, and then I, I also really love the conversation, especially just I mean Gene Hackman in a role that like not many people would have expected from him at the time, and honestly I think that's probably Coppola's best film. Uh, me personally, I mean, I, I mean, I love the Godfather and Godfather Two, and uh, I mean, equally as mm-hmm. much I like stuff like Rumble Fish and the the Outsiders. But just for some reason, the conversation just had this interesting quality. Maybe it was because uh, Walter Murch was involved, and just the man's a genius as far as editing and sound design is concerned. I think what also helps is that nobody,
2: for some sad reason, and I think I know what it is, talks about the conversation. So there's no preempted notion about it. So like. Um, the same year that The Godfather 2 won Best Picture, uh, The Conversation was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. So uh, Coppola lost Best Director to himself because he won for The Godfather Part 2. Right. Um, that's why it got overshadowed by The Godfather Part 2, which is, for my in my opinion, the better of The Godfathers. But still, The Conversation, no pun intended, deserves to be in The Conversation. It's a, it's a hell of a right. film. Right, and,
0: th- and that was the one that won the Palme d'Or. Yes, Exactly. I don't know, Greg. Do you, do you have any questions or anything you want to ask? Cause uh, I mean, you've, you've never actually interacted with Andreas before.
1: No, I mean, you, you, I, you, I'll just kind of chime in when, when I'm, when I'm feeling it, oh, you know, I do, but I'm not like a film buff. Like you guys, like uh, we, we had an episode where we explained it, uh, where, where I'm the face and James is the faceless when it, when it comes to consuming media or like anything that I'm consuming in general, um i really take a lot of things at face value you know i don't really Mm -hmm. dive deep into anything i just kind of enjoy it as it's presented and so i don't really go into all this research and and look into you know what won what award i'm not really concerned about other people's opinions of works of art i i am only concerned with mine so like a lot of the times Mm -hmm. you'll you'll see somebody's like oh well this this movie's great everyone should enjoy it. I'm like, I, I hated it. It wasn't interesting for me. And then people are like, Oh, well, well, let's take this piece of garbage and we'll, we'll trash it or we'll talk about it or we'll analyze why it failed. And I'm like, that's one of the best movies I've ever seen. You know, like I, I'm one of those people who will say, uh, John Travolta's battlefield earth. I think it was called is one of my favorite yeah. sci-fi films. Like uh, purportedly one of the worst films of all time. And I love it. I'll rewatch it any day.
2: Well, at least, uh, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of that film myself, but at least there is, there is somebody who actually likes that film. So I think that would make John Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Now he's got to meet him.
0: He <laughs> <laughs> would love it. Like, dude, your performance in Battlefield Earth was amazing.
2: Yeah. Especially that part where you try to offer the rat as well as the lunch. He's like, don't you want lunch? Like, it's the oh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've seen Battlefield Earth twice. I think once, and then I saw it again just to kind of soak in what just happened. And then I was like, Yeah, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But
0: just so, just to make
2: sure, um, like, okay, let's
0: solo Did I watch what I just watched?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely looking at it, I can I can understand why it's a bad film per se. But like the story is something that that I've I just was interested in from a uh, from a young age because my my father, as I was growing up, was always watching Star Trek. You know, so I was all about oh, okay. sci fi stuff and. I was just kinda, you know, perusing through the VHS collection one day and I saw this called Battlefield Earth. I looked at it, it looked like a bunch of sci-fi stuff. So I was like, all right, let me just slap this in, and see what it is. And I liked it. You know, so I guess that movie's catered and for like the youth. <laughs> <laughs> it scratched that
2: itch. Yeah. Uh, um and that's the thing I love about film and a lot of art in general, like uh, something like Showgirls. I don't know how much either of you know about the Showgirls. Is also derided as like one of the worst films ever made. But
0: I can't stand there's that like movie.
2: actual. But that's the thing. <laughs> there's actual like discussions as to like why it's misunderstood. Outside of one or two things, I think it's greatly misunderstood. I'm not going to say it's a classic, but I think it's a gravely misunderstood film. But that could be a discussion for another episode because that could take like five hours. I think there's <laughs> more interesting
0: things. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll have you back for
1: that one. Well, here's the thing.
0: It's like, yes. I actually like Paul Verhoeven because I love RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Okay. But I, th- I think the problem with Showgirls was there's too many nuances that he typically puts in his other movies in that movie, like that sex scene in mm-hmm. Showgirls. Like, okay, look, the campy movement and all that stuff should not have happened. Like, it was fine for RoboCop, but this is like, you know, this is just too weird and surreal. It's almost like it's like, it's almost like he had David Lynch hanging out on set and like, hey, like, hey do this for this scene. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like it, because
2: I love David Lynch. <laughs> but you weren't you weren't fond of Elizabeth Berkeley's dolphin stunt double during the sex scene. I thought that was oh. a good <laughs> <passing> choice.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So um, was there a uh, certain film in particular that got you kind of on the path to where you are now or was it just like you were you you were seeking out like okay what is what does film have to offer
2: oh god actually something that i discuss a lot with um friends of mine including john who uh i haven't done my shout out yet hey john how's it going um the the things that uh i discuss with a lot of people that i discuss films with is um everybody has like their top whatever five ten whatever can accommodate your vast body of what you love um there's a list that I've been dying to kind of make one of these days. The The 10 films that influenced me the most to wanting to watch more movies, which doesn't necessarily mean that I still like them. Like A Gladiator, for instance, I don't really care for anymore. But when I was a kid seeing it, I was like, oh my God, what is this? Like, this is, this is like the best thing I've ever seen. Um, so I would argue one of the most pivotal films for that, getting me into like film as like an art or anything. And it's a great, it's a great bridge of a film is uh, Ridley Scott's alien. You know, you go into it. Oh, it's fantastic. You go into it wanting like this horror sci-fi, whatever, which it delivers on. But then you also get these HR Geiger sets and that, that the actual xenomorphs and how like they look and the design of everything. And it's like, Oh my God, I want more of this. Like this is, Not art house, but it's like the teensiest bit, art influenced. So it's like, what is this? I need this in my life. And I was maybe 12 when I first saw that. And I said, okay, I want more of this. Give me this.
0: Okay. Uh, I definitely love Alien. Alien is one of the most impressive series ever because it was like back to back. It just, it was amazing. It's like, okay, Ridley Scott does the first one where it's like, okay, it's a sci-fi horror thing. And then you get to Alien's and it's James Cameron and it becomes this like sci-fi action flick. Then you get to three and it's David Fincher and it becomes this weird sci-fi thriller and it's like, you know, it's just this weird evolution it's like, okay, how does one series happen to get all these directors who, you know, end up becoming the among the names or the list of like greatest directors ever
2: Mm Mm-hmm And then uh, Resurrection we don't talk about Oh, yeah (laughs) Yeah yeah, Even though it's like It happened It's unfortunate because I believe that was Jean-Pierre Jeannette, who's known for like um, Delicatessen and uh, Amelie for for wider audiences. That's still an important name in filmmaking.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't consumed any of his films yet uh, as of as of yet. But uh, yeah, I find it <laughs> kind of interesting because it's like, you know, when I kind of like looked it up on how they went with them. And it's like, you know, it seems like it was one of the things it was like they just wanted to go in a different direction. And it was like. This guy isn't necessarily the guy to do this kind of movie.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um So yeah, even like I I don't necessarily like Alien 3 all that much, but and I don't think Fincher does either, but the fact oh, he that he gave us Oh yeah, exactly. But the fact that he gave us David Fincher, who's made um you know, like Gone Girl and Social Network, which I think are like fantastic films, Zodiac, um, Benjamin Button, which I think is underrated. I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's underrated. Um Yeah. Uh, and then Fight Club. You know, sometimes obviously. you need that. Well, um we don't we don't talk about Fight Club, but I'll, I'll tell you why. And this might get oh, me kicked right. off the pod. <laughs> this might get me kicked off the pod, though. I think that movie is vastly overrated.
1: Same.
0: <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I love Fight Club, but I can agree with that because it's like I personally I kinda like Seven more than Fight Club. But the, I yeah, mean, seven was even seven was a good a good movie because he got to actually execute what he wanted. But the thing with Fight Club, it's a lot. You know, I call that the you know that's that generic uh, part of the generic uh, cinephile starter pack. It's like you thump that in there with like yeah. Donnie Darko and Pulp Fiction and Requiem for a Dream, which don't get me wrong, like Requiem yeah. for a Dream and Pulp Fiction are extremely important. And uh, Donnie Darko, for what it is, was great for the time and you know its influence on the you know pop culture zeitgeist is vast but it's like those typical films yeah. like oh uh you know it's it's that thing where it's like you know you watch these and you're automatically like into cinema and it's I just find it weird and I'm just like I could list you off so many movies that are way better to start off with than that
2: yeah exactly um in my master's program these were deemed the the college fuckboy films so stuff like Redemption. I didn't come up with that by the way it's stuff like so like these these posters you would see in every Every college dorm room where it's like, you know, yeah, the fight club and uh, the dark night and all of that stuff. And it's like, not that, not to say that these are bad films and I've certainly seen worse, but, um, I think what gets everyone's goat is the fact that a lot of these films are so revered. And it's like, you do realize being John Malkovich exists. You do realize that like all these other movies exist in the same time period, no less. And they do the philosophical thing and the social commentary thing a lot better, but, you know, they're, they're far from the worst films I've ever seen, don't get me wrong.
0: Yeah, but but those films, it's, it's like the Dude Bro films. Like, your, yeah. your college well, friend guy is going to love these movies.
2: Literally, one has a guy called The Dude, The Big Lebowski, which I think is a hilarious film, but I mm. I wouldn't say it's the Coen brothers' best, and I think that's almost disrespectful to their filmography to say that. Like, they've made so many iconic films.
0: Oh, right. I mean, of, of the films I've seen of theirs, it's like, I look at The, the Big Lebowski, and I'm just like, okay, I get it, but... You know, I I just want to tell people it's like, OK, hey, maybe sit down and watch Barton Fink and then you'll maybe rethink. Yeah, see, <laughs>
1: he, here's here's my issue with it is I don't feel like any of those films are widely marketed enough. You know, the the reason these dude bro films exist is because they're, <clears throat> they're casting such a wide net that people will see these. Oh, yeah. And th- that is definitely part of the issue. It's
0: like those are the mm. ones likely to get, you know, you know, they're, they're the one getting all the bu- the, the marketing budget just because like, oh, this will appeal to the mainstream. And it's like, you know. Mm. I mean, we're kind of seeing a bit more of the artsier films being successful, but it's it's mainly because it, Jason Blum is a genius, and everyone needs to follow in his suit because he knows how to make cheap films and make more money than everybody, and they're usually good.
2: Mm-hmm. And even when they're not, they're at least like interesting premise wise. They just happen to not succeed. But um, yeah, there are a lot of innovators. So like you know, the Blumhouse production, uh, A twenty four is really good at picking oh, out I love what A24. films to distribute. Uh, yeah. A twenty four is fantastic. Anna used to be a bit more on on the nose with this type of thing. Um I hope they kind of get back on the rails because I, I I love their their company and I hope that they do all right because I know they're in a bit of financial trouble, I believe. I think that was because they decided
0: um, to become a distributor themselves. Right. That that was part of the issue because right. they were putting out good movies, but it's like like I mean, you gotta think like when they put out um was it sorry to bother you? Yes. That was just I was like, man, this is what you guys are coming out with. Okay, I- I'm excited to see. Or and it was a uh, if Beale Street could talk, that was them, right? Who distributed it?
2: I think so. I think so. That south Road, which
0: was a fantastic film, by the way. Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah, it's it's definitely seeing the it's definitely nice to see the more kind of artistic films getting more successful with people who know how to push them. Because they look at Jordan Peele. I mean, no one expected him to just have like you know two critically acclaimed smash hits back to back on very sensitive subject matter, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And
2: I feel like us doesn't even get the, uh, the deserve that it, or the, um, the credit that it deserves. And uh, luckily get out did get Out's a, a very interesting film. Cause the first time I watched it, you know, I was, I was hooked, but I was like, I, th- I found it so predictable, but then you realize that that's not why it matters. And the more you watch it, the whole twist thing doesn't even matter. It's, look at all these little tiny little nuances throughout the film that add to this twist and the commentary that comes with said narrative and twist. That's important. So I'll give you an example. Like have either of you seen the usual suspects? No, nope, I have. Um, I don't know about you, James, but for me, I saw the film once and I was like, I was younger by the way. And I said, wow, that was amazing. But the more I think about it, the more I don't like it, and I'd never want to see it again because the twist negates, basically, without spoiling for those who ever want to see it, and negates the entire film. And, like, who wants that? You know what I mean? Like, it's a more surprising twist than Get Out, but Get Out is a much better film because it's still a story, and it still holds up, and it's still a commentary, whereas The Usual Suspects relies only on its twist to be effective, and that to me, that's not good storytelling. That's a good moment.
0: I mean, also, I mean... I don't know how much credit I can give to Brian Singer as a director. Just in general. I also can't
2: stand Brian Singer. Yeah. He's... Yeah, uh
0: it's... He's, he's... As a director,
2: he's so-so. As a person, he's... Garbage. Garbaggio. I can't stand him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
0: he's he's awful. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you look at it and it's like... It's almost like it was designed for the twist. And you're just like, that's it?
2: Yeah. Which, that to me, that does not make a good film a good film could have a great twist like okay let's make this interesting without spoiling for you know the listeners or whatever what are your favorite twists of all time like uh, the film where it's like like a twist happened he said holy shit i did not see that coming Honestly, and stayed with you for like my, the rest of your life
0: my favorite twist is one that happened recently i might have been last year i saw david fincher's the game okay and that was just I didn't realize a movie could just get that bonkers from start to finish where I was literally like I have no idea what's going on and I don't even know where this is going and then once it wraps I'm just like what did I just watch like it it just blew my mind it was it wasn't the twist itself it was just the execution the fact that this movie flowed as well as it did with all these random bizarre things happening and it all came together at the end I was just like okay what
2: what about you Greg what do you think
1: um uh it, it, for me I would say because I can only think uh too far back I would say us the the twist in us the reveal Okay
2: but that's the same like as get out where you might be able to foresee it from a mile away but it doesn't matter cuz it's it still mm-hmm. benefits the story so well and it's not like the shock factor of oh I didn't see it coming but it still it perfects a story and what it's saying because uh without spoiling us cuz I think every listener should see this film um it plays into the whole classism and privilege storyline perfectly. So it's like it could only have happened. And that's why it's predictable because it should have happened. So.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a movie. I think the big thing with Jordan Peele and like a lot of directors, it's like there's this kind of like, you know, he, he almost like that Quentin Tarantino thing where it's like, you know, the layers of influence or what really drive the movie and it's like if you mm-hmm. understand if you don't understand the influences and in the references fine but you know there's more to the movie than just oh hey i came up with the story it's like it's deeply rooted in like you know like like us with this commentary but also a mixture of these influences and uh, he said the uh, original influence of the film was his um his fear of uh doppelgangers as a child okay so yeah, he he was always like afraid he'd like see a double of himself just somewhere <laughs> that he just wouldn't know about, and just would happen upon him. Like you know, yeah, it was just one of those weird things that as a kid, and that just kind of played in the influence. And then the whole uh, hands across America thing, he inc- he incorporated yeah. that because he said as a child he knew there was just something not right about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because especially we have like so many like protests to, like happening right now, and you have a lot of companies or corporations trying to not necessarily make a buck off of it, but it's like, yeah, this doesn't look good. You know, this is something that's that's pretty real, and putting a big trademark on it doesn't look great, you know?
0: Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely doesn't.
2: Yeah, but I mean... Um, yeah, so... I mean, a twist can be beneficial to a film, but if that's all that the film is relying on. Like, the game is a great example, and Us is a great example, because... They're twisty films, but they don't rely on that necessarily. They're still good stories through and through.
0: Um, You're not waiting so, for the twist. It sort of just happens to you.
2: Yeah. And even if you could see it coming a mile away, it, it's is a it predictable, sure. But it's also sometimes predictable is a good thing, which sounds silly. But sometimes it is because it's the direction something was maybe intended to go. Right. Right. Like it's only organic that way. Plus, I mean, if you watch, God knows how many movies that I watch, uh, things get a little bit easier to to kind of see coming. So there's also that oh yeah, I mean, if you've seen it movies. all, then
0: you know there's there 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 aren't that many surprises. I don't. I've always kind of liked. Uh, I've always appreciated films not with twists but abrupt endings. Like, um, I, I actually I have to say like. My my interest in film kind of stemmed uh I didn't really get into it in high school but when I was a kid I I liked movies and uh, my first kind of art house film was I and I watched it when I was like 10 but it was um it was uh the movie Cube
1: Oh wow oh, okay Boy
0: Because, I mean, Cube, I love Cube so much. And I was like 9 or 10, but I was like, there's something about it. And it was like just the way it ended because it had that kind of thing where it was like, you know, it had that classic storyline. It's like people thrown into a situation. There's some overarching force controlling it, but you don't see it. And then, like, you know, the least likely character to make it out leaves. And then you're just like left wondering, like, what happened?
2: What's the outside world? Yeah, like, I'm surprised he could, you know. Still, come out a normal person watching such a movie at, at nine or ten years old, where you're seeing like people being diced into little pieces. Like it's it's a really screwed right. up movie.
0: <laughs> my da- <laughs> like, my my dad hates the movie. It's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i'll, I'll show but my I mean, dad movie we'll watch movies and he'll just be like i couldn't stand that like i showed him a primer and upstream color and he hate both of those movies
2: oh but the, That's surprising. As, as much as i love those films as much as i love those films those are really hard to to show to people that aren't into like you know challenging cinema like i can't imagine showing my girlfriend or my family any of those films and, and then coming away oh
1: yeah it i mean they're way not way. for everybody I don't know, man. I feel oh, yeah. like Primer is very easy to get into. Like, at least from my my point of view, you know. Like, I I took to it immediately. I was like, I, I, James was, you know, telling me forewarnings, and he's like, "Hey, like the first thirty minutes are kind of slow, but like when, once the once the film like starts up, you know, it's like I don't see how you can pull yourself away from it." Especially because
2: you don't really. I still don't fully understand it, and I've seen it a few times. I get it, but I can't like like Mahalo Drive. Yeah. I can explain to you. Every, every second of. Oh, yeah. Or, um, you know, there are films like Persona. I could interpret it in my own way in many, like, every second of it. But primer it's like i could tell you it's about time travel and i could tell you that they're looping back to the same point which erases this point which brings them back to this point but i i can't lay it out for you like it's a well, yeah, really if, if difficult film you don't even film. know uh,
0: most of the time you don't even know where the loop actually starts because like when they do the reveal right. and you find out other things you're like wait where are we even in the movie are we in mm-hmm. timeline 1 or are we in timeline 87 did right. the movie start in timeline 40 which is fantastic because
2: like the fact
0: that you can do so much with
2: a shoestring budget which is and and he basically made that film an upstream himself like oh yeah uh, it's fantastic
0: i mean it, it goes to show it's interesting cuz like primer was made for like $7000 and it was like he was the writer director producer the star the editor he taught himself how to compose music, music to do the composing yeah. and i was like you literally did everything for this movie
2: which, by the way, he wasn't even a filmmaker. He was in, like, what, like, engineering?
0: Yeah, he was, Um, I think it was a software engineer. Yeah, he was a software engineer up to that point. Yeah, and he just, like, quit his job to make a movie.
2: The guy's a genius. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if you don't even study films and you could do this, like, literally by yourself, I'm sorry. Like, you're bored to do this. And it's sad that um he's going to basically finish whatever he's working on now and quit the business because he hates it so much. And it's sad because yeah, it's that's not so the result of him. Yeah, it's not the result of him, it's a result of, as much as I love movies, a shitty industry that's pushing out innovators like this for a profit. It's sad.
0: Yeah. Have you seen um it, he actually just recently posted he, this uh stinger reel mock up trailer he made um to show uh financers for his um abandoned film Atopiary? No, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's really cool. He's got like some sound effects footage that he made himself and then like it's intercut with scenes from other movies to kind of like Show what the narrative is going to be like. And it's literally he even had like Steven Soderbergh and David Fincher trying to find financing as executive producers and no one would bite at all. And he he said he got the budget down to where he could do it the entire thing. And it's a sci fi epic he was doing. He said he could get he said he could do the whole thing for 14 million dollars and no one wanted to do it. I was like, are you serious? Like you guys spend a 100 million on garbage sometimes. You won't give a little bit of chump change to like an artist. Mm-hmm. Like that
2: gets my goat because I've got two examples of this. Do either of you know the work of animator Don Hertzfeld?
0: Not by name. Have either of you
2: heard, seen this really popular thing in the 2000s called rejected cartoons where it's like the, the my spoon is too big. I have a banana.
0: Oh, yeah, that dude. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Believe it or not, he's made some of the greatest shorts and features I've ever seen, actually. And um it's the same thing where it's like this guy can't get financing or the proper funding to do what he wants this guy's made some of the greatest animated works i've ever seen and rejected doesn't even come close to it which is saying something because as hilarious as it is um big recommendation to everybody it used to be on netflix i don't know where it is anymore it's it's such a beautiful day one of the greatest animated films i've ever I remember, seen i
0: remember watching it in high school on youtube Oh rejected? Oh yeah, it was
2: it was definitely it was a mood back then. Um but the the biggest example of this that, that irks me, is not Hertzfeld, might not be a name everyone knows. Does everyone know Akira Kurosawa?
1: Yeah. I don't know anybody by name. I I intentionally avoid <laughs> knowing who made what to avoid any type of bias that I may uh, draw from it
2: that's fair that's that's a that's a very different way of going about it and it's it's fair because there's a lot of time towards like i don't want to see something because so someone might be attached to it that's that's only fair um Mm -hmm. kurosawa is arguably one of the greatest if not the most greatest or innovative filmmakers of all time you can credit every action sequence to to seven samurai for instance um and star wars to uh, uh the hidden fortress uh for instance but This guy who's made some of the greatest films of all time, from the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, um, struggled to get funding for uh, his 80s works, including Ron, which is one of the greatest epics I've ever seen. So filmmakers like George Lucas helped him get funding for this. And it's like, it's goddamn Akira Kiyosawa, and you're not funding this, but you're funding some other crap in the 80s. Like, that just boggles my mind to this day, and I will never understand why that happened.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the nature of the industry. It's the language of currency, man. That's the only thing they're after.
2: But it's like, this guy made Seven Samurai, which was, like, at the time, I think one of the most successful foreign films of all time, and it continues to be that. And that was, like, decades ago, and you can't trust him to to remake King Lear. I don't know. To me, that that's just weird. I, like, it's not like the guy was unknown. He's been, like revered by the industry and profitable for decades. It's just because he took some time off and he had like this one crossover done with like an American production. I think I don't remember what it's called, but you know, that's it. Meanwhile, like so-and-so can make the upteens terrible film. Need I say like, uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, the Clover. No, not Cloverfield. Hang on the, uh, the day after tomorrow guy. What's his name? Oh, I don't know who directed that. Roland Emmerich, I think. That, I think that's what his name is. That guy could make a thousand movies, and and nobody bats an
0: eye. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think we should probably take a water break, real quick, If the listeners a little break to absorb what we just said. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, everybody grab those waters. You know what to
2: do. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that very cynical note, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs>
1: welcome back everybody Mm -hmm. we're back at it again the prefer not to say podcast we're here with our friend
0: andreas who is uh you know one of the biggest film fans of all time.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the thing. I don't even know if I am. And I, I I devote my entire life to this, but you have like, God, like you, you that's what I love about cinema. And it's been around for over a hundred years. Like it, it never ends, whether it's discovering people who love it more than you do, which I think is honestly a privilege. Um, discovering stuff that you've never even heard of. That's considered iconic. It never ends, so I I have however many years left to live, and I'm going to devote every second to trying to try to exhaust this well, and at the same time revisit everything that I've seen along the way.
0: Oh, that's always a good goal to have. Now, uh, mm-hmm. now tell us about films fatal. Um, how how did it how how did you come up with the idea to start your own film website, having written for other films? Actually, actually, before that, why don't you talk about your career as a freelance journalist for these websites? Sure. Well, I think they kind of
2: tie into the same the same answer as to like why I wanted to make this. So, okay. Um, when I was first getting, it's, it's interesting because I have a love-hate relationship with the Academy Awards and it's more of a love than a hate. I can understand and admit that there's a lot of problems, a lot of um, biases with... With the academy awards but that was kind of where it started when the year was 2007 and no country for old men and there will be blood were getting a lot of recognition um during the award season i watched both and they're two of my favorites of all time and afterwards you know the academy awards happened and you know they won their respective awards like best picture best actor for daniel day lewis best cinematography best screenplay and I was heavily kind of coinciding what I was watching with Rotten Tomatoes, so I started doing user reviews there, and at the time, I don't know if they do this anymore, at the time, if you wrote a lot and you got a lot of hits, you were designated, like, you get a top fan badge now on Facebook, you get designated, oh god, a a top user or something, so your stuff would appear on the front page of some of these films. So I remember one of the ones I did was I land-based at Old Dogs because I hated that movie. And um, my review was like one of the first ones you could read on out of the user reviews. And uh, it actually got to a point where... Uh, Rotter Tomatoes emailed me saying hey you might want to cut out the the swear words because like your stuff's being read now so I was like okay (laughs) (laughs) that's how much I didn't like that movie (laughs) so um when that happened I was like you know this is something that I I I kind of identify with I obviously have room to grow but this is something that I like doing and I remember doing a top 100 on Rotten Tomatoes which I could only imagine being terrible now and (laughs) um I started my own blog that was called who cares reviews. And my, the idea was who cares because at the end of the day you like what you like anyway. So why do you, why does it matter what I like? So that's why I called it that. And when that happened, I was getting a little bit of, of traction, but it was like a free blog. It was WordPress or something. And a high school buddy of mine named Sean, uh, had his own website. It was like a Toronto magazine called uh, Live in Limbo, which focused on music, but he wanted to really grow the film side of things. So he asked me to come on board. So I said, okay. So at, for a few years, I was doing um, film writing and I was doing concert reviews and photography and stuff. So I was going to a lot of a lot of gigs. So I was seeing like, for a couple of years, I was going to like all these festivals, all these... Um, Film festivals and uh, and music festivals. So, I mean, it was... Th- that was like my Woodstock. I was having a hell of a time. And um, unfortunately, that, um, th- that ended after a little while. And I went back to university. I was studying. So I did freelance stuff for, you know, as you brought up, Taste of Cinema, FanDor, before FanDor got rid of their editorial section. Um, a few things. And a buddy of mine said, you know, you had that one blog a while ago i think after all these years they're more than capable why don't you start a website it's a good portfolio it's something to have nowadays and i kind of read into it too deeply and i said yeah i'm gonna start my own review website because i think I've, I've made all these great connections i've done all these things so i'm going to dig too deeply like i usually do and turn this into a bona fide thing and i'm still on that quest to make this thing explode so um We're a year and a half into this thing and I don't want to stop now. I'm actually like that's that's my drive is to keep this thing going.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you uh, before you started the website, you were like talking about how you're building this website. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And then once it actually debuted, I really appreciated the site for the direction it was going, because I mean, one thing is you eliminate that kind of weird pretentiousness a lot of these websites have where it's like, you know, you're not going to call something the absolute best movies of all time from this blank, blank era or whatever when, you know, trying to decide absolutes when obviously everything's subjective. But also it's like, you know, you have reviews, you do master classes. I know you had um, a couple times where you had actual audio analysis of screenplays, you know, you do oh, yes. doing all this stuff. And I think it's I appreciate it because it's like it's more so it's you know, it's not just like, oh, here's reviews. It's you know, you. It's really important for you to be that person that's helping preserve history, but also educate people on things they may not know or things that may help them appreciate movies better.
2: Well, thank you so much for that. I uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, the thing is, I uh, I wasn't even consciously. I mean, it's something that I think about now, but at the time, I wasn't consciously thinking of what do I do to be different. I just wanted to do my own thing and. To quote uh, Wu Tang Clan, it's like I know that people want this because I want this, you know. So, um, yeah, uh, to quote the Thirty Six Chambers, and uh, I, it was just something that initially I was just doing where it's like I want to do master classes, I want to do these reviews, I want to do um, these articles, and then I kind of realized, wait, a lot of websites don't really do all of that in one place. And by by then, it was too late. I was already fully doing this, so I said, I better keep going because. I like this. And the idea is I still want there to be a lot going on, but not too much. So it becomes uh, oversaturated and the identity of the website is lost. So I hope I fulfill that mandate and continue having a very singular voice that resonates, but at the same time isn't confusing.
0: Oh yeah, it definitely. Um, I I think it's the variety is where the biggest strength of your website comes from because it's like I see a lot of the a lot of these websites seem to be a bit more cookie cutter where it's like they have the typical lists and a lot of the a lot of the authors seem to kind of go along the same lines of how they approach writing and it says it seems like it's more like you know I don't know I, I think it's just there was a certain quality that I noticed with the variety you had but also the you know the intention of where you're coming from because. You know, especially it's like yeah, yeah. You're you're a website that does reviews and you do rate things, but you know the way you describe them and the format in which you present, and even even some of the humor, like when you um did the uh, I forgot which Tyler Perry movie that you uh. Oh, God, that you wrote that, about, uh, but uh, you started it off. The uh, funeral one. You, you, you did. You did a thing where you're like, "This is terrible. No need to write any further." And you included your uh, author tag at the bottom, and then under it, you're like, "Okay, now I have to really discuss the movie to actually, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, because uh, I'm doing this for the website. I had to watch it. Now I have to talk about it and tell you why I don't like it."
2: Well, I also like. I, I feel like anybody can kind of get by with the Rotten Tomato score or whatever, and not actually review this thing. So it's like. I don't know. I I feel like I have to prove that I actually saw this hunk of shit. So I think I'm going to have to do it. Uh, (laughs) You know, like I have to imagine if I'm actually being paid, do I feel like I, uh, I earned my money by giving it just a zero, not doing anything. So no, I wouldn't. So I, you know, I I, I was tempted to do that. And then I said, you know, no, I got to actually write something. But if I leave this in, it might actually be funny. So I did. So,
0: yeah, there was also uh, I still haven't got a chance to read it. But for April Fool's Day, you did this like retrospective appreciation article for the misunderstood classic baby geniuses. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> how, how, um, did that, how did the idea to do that come about? Because I was like because I remember you like kind of explain like, people in the comments were kind of explaining it, like chatting about how the article goes. And I was just like, that's genius. Like as an April Fool's joke, you're like, oh, I'm going to give a serious like, hey, we need to appreciate this more. And then it just sort of trails off like, I don't know why I'm doing this. because this movie really isn't good.
2: Uh, uh, Yeah, you might actually call it Baby Genius. Um, I don't know. Like, it's... uh Sometimes it's hard to come up with ideas for stuff to do, and that's partially why I did the. I started doing like master classes because it's like if there's nothing, especially in COVID nineteen era. There's like no movies coming out and nothing really happening in the industry outside of the same old. And I want to stick to the positivity side of things, which I think jokingly reviewing a bad film isn't exactly positive, but. Um, I was just struggling to think of something and i realized oh it's april fool's day tomorrow so it's like what bad movie have i not discussed i've discussed um a few like the super mario bros movie on on the website so it's like which of these oh oh baby geniuses so then it was like okay how do i how do i feign love for this thing and it got to a point where i was comparing it to like um I, I got a little out of hand. I was comparing it to Salo by Pasolini, and I was like, okay, this is basically where it ends. Because oh, that's really?
0: Like... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was oh, actually that, a part that, that I got rid of because
2: it got too ugly. <laughs> it got too ugly. So I was oh, like, okay, I'm gonna get rid of this because now this is getting like offensive. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cut it off here <laughs> and just reveal that it's a joke. <laughs> I don't actually like this movie at all. And the worst part is you see so many comments where it's like, yeah, I don't get why people hate this movie, and it's like, I don't think you read this. <laughs> I don't actually like this at all. I actually despise that film and the sequel too. Oh God, which maybe I'll do for the next April Fools, but I guess you'll see that coming. So
0: Greg, do you have any questions about the website or anything like that?
1: Not really. None yet. I mean, uh, if you're not there already, you know what, at what point is this becoming like your full-time job? You know, is this, is this at what point are you freeing yourself from the yoke of the oppressors? As I would put it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's that's a good way of putting it um so yeah like any millennial i'm doing multiple gigs i do um i do like a full-time luckily i'm privileged to be able to do so at home which i know is not everybody's um ability to do so right now in this it's everybody's dream though Oh yeah. I mean, well, yes, and no. I, I find working at home. I was doing this even before the virus, I was working from home and it's so distracting. Cause it's like, Oh God, I've got breath of the wild, like inches away from me, but like I got to work, you know, it's, it's hard. And, um, I'm doing that, but it's also hard because I also run, um, I also run another podcast. I run it with my buddies. We do, uh, a Toronto Raptors podcast. I don't know if either of you are basketball fans at all, or, uh,
0: we are not sports ball fans. No, sir. <laughs>
2: no sports ball fans. Okay, so if I celebrate today, which is actually the one-year anniversary of the Toronto Raptors winning the championship, is that okay?
1: Oh, go for it. Oh, go uh, for 100% it. 100% <laughs> about people enjoying the things they enjoy. If you want to celebrate by all talking about their means. other ventures,
0: because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, you, you do podcasts as well, so you're no stranger to the podcast world. Mm-hmm. Which uh, if, I, exactly. if I remember correctly, uh, because uh, wasn't and isn't the podcast on Raptors HQ? Yes, it is. Yeah, for for those who know, Raptors HQ is like literally it's a website dedicated to everything Toronto Raptors.
2: Yeah, the the podcast is called That's a Rap Pod, um, and it's with my my two buddies uh, Jay and Jason. So we call them the two Jays. They call me Dre, which is fantastic. I've never had a cooler nickname, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I do that. I do um, my nine to five, but it's it's hard because my philosophy, and if this is something that I can um, try and advise to any content creator, and this is tough, but you have to stick with it. Nothing is a job unless you treat it like a job. I'm not really making a lot of money or anything off of the website right now, but I'm getting a lot of attention and I think it's heading in the right direction and it's going well and that's because I treat it like a job so I I put in hours upon hours every day whether it's watching new things or cleaning up the site or coming up with new ideas nothing is a job until you make it a job and eventually I feel like it's going to be that turning point where it's going to be like how the hell did I get here how is this my job well it's because for however long I treated it like a job and Unfortunately, with all of those things combined, that means I don't have much free time. So, <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, I know. I definitely try to treat the we try to treat the podcast like a job. I mean, uh, I, I do I do a little bit more of the technical side, so it's a little bit more. You know, I have a little bit more of the heavy lifting and I also am currently working full time. I'm actually on overtime right now, so I'm working 50 hour weeks and we're trying oh, to wow. we're trying to maintain the pod because we don't want to have any off weeks. You know, we've consistently mm-hmm. been, you know, recording every single Sunday for, you know, I think it, it'll be eight months or something like that because we recorded eight weeks of, um demo episodes before we recorded the official episode so it's like all this time it's like and you know we dropped the merch you know some people are actually buying that and we have dedicated fans so it's like you know we can't we have to keep the momentum going because you know we're already we've already made a tiny bit of money it's not like an insane profit but you know it's we have to keep working towards making it the full-time job and then on top of that i have all my stuff that i'm i'm trying to do my stuff musically as boutique paul but this this overtime is really killing that vibe so it's like you know i was like okay i can do the pod i can't do all this other stuff because it's a little bit more involved
2: yeah because i was gonna ask how that boutique paul thing is going because i remember you bringing up that project and it's such a such a ambitious project i mean jesus
0: i i I, uh i actually i actually put pause the original project i was doing for that so my stuff is boutique paul is literally just like my own music for now
2: Oh, copy. Okay. Yeah, because
0: I, I figured out a different way to format those other projects. And so that's I, I want to do planning and it's going to require me actually being full time. So it's or not full time, but having the free time. So I'm just trying to do music. And it, I mean, the music stuff, uh, my own music stuff is concerned. It's actually going pretty decently as far as like because I've mainly been navigating Instagram for that, you know, because that's that's one of the easier ways to get a little bit of attention. And uh, I've actually met some really cool people on there um, doing that. So. Yeah, uh, so speaking of uh, where you're at now, what is your viewership like?
2: Um, Right now I'm hitting uh, within the thousands range per week, which I think for a website that's only a year and a half old, that's pretty damn good. And um, some of my stuff is on the front page of Google, which surprises the hell out of me. Not much, but a few things. So the top 10 Russian films I did or, like, 10 of the best Russian films, that gets, like, hundreds of hits a day. I don't, I can't tell you why. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, my uh, complete evisceration of that film by Doug Walker, The the Pink Floyd's the Wall by the Nostalgia Critic, that gets hundreds of hits a day, which I don't know if I should feel proud or bad about that, because I basically ripped (laughs) apart that guy's career in, like... And I grew up, I grew up watching that guy, but like that, that thing was, was hot shit. I can't tell, I can't explain it better than that. Like, uh, I don't know what it is. I think, um, people like are either of you familiar with the needle drop?
0: No, sir. Oh, I love the needle drop. Anthony Vantano is, Uh, is like one of the best things that come out of the internet. Yeah, actually
2: when I was with live in limbo, I was privileged enough to be able to interview him many years ago and he's a really nice guy. And, um, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's really nice, except I asked him, I asked if I could speak to Cal Chuchesta, and he said, No, he's asleep, so I'll, I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> but um, um, the, the joke for, for Greg. Uh, for Gregory, since Greg doesn't know, yeah.
0: uh, Cal Chuchesta is uh, this character that he plays. He puts on like a like sweater and it makes himself look a little bit heftier, and he's got a mustache, and he sounds like whiny, and he's just like this character that's just out to annoy Anthony.
2: <laughs> oh! Hey everyone, Cal Chuchester here. So, like, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, he has like this, uh, this, um, this interesting Minnesotan voice. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, he had his own The Wall review because it was not just the movie, it was also an album. Like, he, Doug Walker recreated with, um, oh, what's his name? The YouTuber Scallon, Rob Scallon. Um, they recreated the entire album and it's, it just sounds oh. terrible. Yeah, so <laughs> I think because he reviewed the album, people Google it, and they find my thing. And I feel bad for for completely shitting on a movie, but
0: it's doing me hey, all right. You're getting the attention. Yeah, so it's helping. So there you go. I mean, we've got what? I mean, you know, we get uh, maybe
1: tens of l- listens a week. At oh, this yeah point. tens tens is where it's at, we it we're, at like some, we're at like 870 we're at 876
0: <laughs> something on total listens.
2: you gotta start somewhere though and that's mm-hmm. that's where it starts and that's the sad thing is when you get that false rush and it's like you start and you put it on facebook and everyone's like oh my god he's got a website you you hit like hundreds in a day and then it trails to like two that's like oh i thought i was doing something good here so you but you have to keep going mm-hmm. Because, you know, it does trail off and then you have to attract people who aren't in your friend circle or your family circle. It has to
1: be that is the unknown. That is the big thing you got to you got to have that reach and you got to have the persistence to keep going. That's, the one of the things that always keeps me going with the pod is that I'm big on uh, staying true to my word 100 percent of the time with like absolute filter. If, if I'm religious, it's religious to the truth of my word. And yes. It's it's as much to say that I've told listeners on the show that I'm going to record every single Sunday regardless. So tell them dead. That's my Sunday for the rest of time. A, <laughs> I mean,
0: uh, unless the, unless there are good reasons not to. Yeah, we definitely nah, try to keep the momentum. Nah. Oh, I'll, I'll walk
1: out of a hospital and, and record <laughs> on a Sunday. I don't care. I said and it. Just, I'll be here.
2: This is your boy, Greg. I'm barely surviving. Mm-hmm. I think I have like mm-hmm. two pints of blood left in me. But hey, we're recording. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that new mm-hmm. that new album. This is how it's going to go. So. I was just
1: in a car crash. <laughs> I just walked it off. I'm here. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> so, how, hey, so the weather today. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, keeping up the momentum is it, it's. That consistency has really helped me in a lot of ways, but just the fact that we were able to, because, you know, this started off just like general conversation. Man, you know, it'd be interesting to start a podcast. And then, you know, now here we are, you know, almost six months into the new year, and we've been able to con- maintain it and release more than we anticipated because we del- did all the bonus episodes that we've been doing. And mm-hmm, then, yeah. um, yeah, we're just trying to expand our reach, which is why, you know, that's why I'm trying to I'm trying to get more interviews than, you know, we did in the first quarter and had planned for the second quarter. And, you know, just I figured it's a good way for us to highlight people that we're friends with and we want to see growth is like for our listeners. And then it's like, you know, it's like, oh, I wonder, you know, do they you know, do they have any fans who would like us?
2: Yeah. And I think you guys are both doing the right thing, because um, when I was still on Live in Limbo, I was a part of two podcasts and. The first one, it was with my buddy, and it was like, okay, it's, uh, God, I don't remember what year. I'll pretend it was 2013. I don't remember. Oh, it's 2013. We're starting the year. It's like January 1st. We're going to do a podcast. It's going to be called Capsule, and we're going to do everything in Toronto, music, movies. We're going to try and get interviews. We're going to start this thing off. And my buddy was sick, and he's like, no, we can't. I was like, but how how the fuck are we going to do this if we're going to cancel the very first episode? So the first episode is me... Rambling about my favorite movies of 2012 by myself for like an hour. And that was the first episode because I believed you had to do it. You had to do it every week. You absolutely had to. And uh, it got to the point where within a year, we were interviewing like uh, Michael Girard of Swans. That led to Anthony Fantano. Um, we were supposed to interview St. Vincent, but something happened. Uh, oh, wow. But we were interviewing, yeah, we were interviewing like pretty big big names and it got to a point where the website itself had like uh the very last interview with scott Wheland ever of the stone temple pilots before he passed um we had chester bennington uh it got huge but that philosophy was because you couldn't have like not have something every week and it got to a point where I was getting really busy with my own stuff, and I couldn't do every week. But I told him, I was like, you've got to keep going. If I can't do it, you've got to record. We have to have something every week. And that's the way to go about it. So you
0: guys are on the right track. Wow, that's a... That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're getting I mean, here. We are. You guys are interviewing famous people, and here we are, you know, interviewing people before they're famous. Then again, Wait, hey, what are you to have... trying to say? You
1: saying Andreas ain't famous? I mean, <laughs> not, not quite yet.
0: He's he's going to be. Hey, he, hey, you're more famous than us, man. I mean, you got people. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I Chester I
1: Bennington. That's impressive. That man no, like formed my teenage years. So speaking of yeah. uh,
0: interviewing famous people, for those who don't know, if you if if you're unfamiliar with his website. He recently had an interview with Amy Jo Johnson and 90s kids. If you're not familiar who that is, she played Kimberly, the original Pink Ranger on Power Rangers.
2: Yeah, she was really nice, which um, I don't look. The thing is, with interviews, you kind of have to take your shot and you kind of have to figure out. And if there's anything that my past experience with websites like Life in Limbo taught me, it's how to approach agents or, or press junkets and all of that. So how do I go about trying to get some of these people? And I've, I've reached out to a few, which either didn't reply or they respectfully declined. Um, but I've had a few successes and a lot of it was starting local with like people I knew personally who were, uh, actors or filmmakers. And in this year I said, okay, I want to, I want this to go to the next level. And, um, it's, it's I guess it's it's good that you bring this up because I could actually disclose uh, the last interview I had which was two days ago um, is probably my biggest one yet I uh, it's a secret now but I'm gonna hope to get it up next week um, I actually interviewed uh, filmmaker Olivia Saiz for uh, for the wasp network which is coming out on, on Netflix which that guy has done, like, a lot of really big films, like Personal Shopper, um, Clouds of Sils Maria. So, like, that was, like, a big honor for me to be able to interview this guy. So, it's like, I, I still don't know how it happens, but oh, it does. Wow. <laughs> you basically have to shoot your shot. You reach out, mm-hmm. and you try and sell yourself. You basically say, this is what good I can do for you guys, um, help promote you out. Uh, and the rest is history. I I, I couldn't tell you. It, it You just basically have to try. Because the worst that can happen is you get ignored, which isn't that bad. But if you don't try, you're not going to get it. That's all I can tell you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely um, trying to reach out to people that are within my reach at first. Uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously, this, I mean, my fr- the first one was like, okay, friends we had who just were like doing things. And it's like, we know the potential now we're this one is the kind of one where it's like some of the people I've been reaching out to have a little bit more notability. Like, obviously, you have a website that's getting getting some form of popularity. So it's like you're, you're one of the bigger, uh, interviews. Um, you know, the, actually the next interview we're doing today is, um, Friend over the mid, made uh, a friend I made over the internet. Uh, his name's Dom. He goes by Internet Boyfriend, who's a musician that I like. You know, I'm a really big fan. I became a really big fan of his, and then we became friends. And I was like, "Hey, do you want to be in the podcast?" He's like, "Yeah, sure." So that's actually um, uh, as of today of recording this, it'll be released at separate times. But yeah, we're actually doing that later today. And then I've got another friend who does music who I'm going to bring on. And then just yeah, I'm I'm trying to get a lot more interviews because we only had three the first quarter. So I'm trying to get like interview after interview. And I'm just like you know, okay, how do I reach out to these people? And then it's like, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to start uh, reaching out to people that I don't know, but I've been like tracking people that are a little bit more successful that I want to kind of plug their brain and introduce to our audience.
2: Yeah. It's, it gets really tough to figure out what echelon you're trying to reach at each moment because you definitely don't want to bite off more than he can chew. Like anybody who's like, why don't you try with Brad Pitt? It's like, yeah, cause Brad Pitt doesn't want to do shit with me. That's why. Like, i like, not, not, not at that yet. level yet. <laughs> no, but like I try to view, um, like last year I was doing a lot of like Toronto locals, which I think was really good. But this year I think the big break for me, which was, um, Samantha Robinson. When I interviewed her, who, if you don't know who that is, she has started a few, um, Pop culture films like The Love Witch and Cam, uh, but also has a minor role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, the Tarantino movie. And um, to me, that was like, okay, this is like an actual big name. This is like somebody who's like actually there. So now I'm going to try people who I believe are on this level, which, you know, if I could get this person. So maybe if I try to reach out to Amy Jo Johnson, I could say I've interviewed Samantha Robinson um and the like so now down the road if i try to get somebody else like i could say i've interviewed olivia essays so um that's the idea and once i feel like there's a digestible next step to go upward and i see that opportunity i guess i'm just gonna have to try and try and get it but it's it's all about being strategic but also you have to i wouldn't even call it gutsy i would just say be almost careless with like reaching out to people like do it properly but like don't be nervous or anything. Just do it. If you feel like you have the credentials and you, you have something to offer, just do it. Because the worst that's going to happen is you get ignored. Like I've been ignored by a lot of people where I'm not going to name because it's not their fault. I'm just some guy.
1: Right. right? That makes
2: sense. Yeah. So I'm not taking it personally. I'm just a guy. But um, you have to take your shot. That's it. But you have to do it wisely.
0: Oh, right. Yeah, well, another reason we wanted to do it is because it's a good opportunity to bring people along to build kind of a rapport with them to do things in the future. Like, you know, like um, our second interview, which was with uh, brothers John and Eric Lee, who own Lavish Media Designs, who actually do our merch and design our logo. Uh, That that happened because uh, Greg was a co-worker with Eric and then, you know. We When we came with the podcast, we was like, oh, we can bring them on because we were already going to plan on contacting them for merch and it was a good way to get to know them. And then, you know, now, now we're like, you know, kind of, you know, we work together in a capacity and that's kind of how I hope to approach a lot of these interviews. It's like, you know, but, like with you, it's like this starts with just the podcast interview, but it's like, you know, there are probably plenty of opportunities we could take to like collaborate on a multitude of different things and like kind of like benefit from each other.
2: I would love to. If you'd love to have me back after shitting on Fight Club, I mean, I would love to come back. I just don't know if anyone wants me back. Well, we, have to do
0: our,
1: we have to do like a spin-off series of something with you. I agree, man. Fight Club is overhyped, so you're always welcome back. Well,
2: thank you, but like, well, the listeners want me back. They'll be like, oh, fuck him, he didn't include it on his top 100 of the 90s, he's an asshole. <laughs> like, uh, which, luckily, I haven't had that, but I have had death threats because I, I shit on Braveheart, so I mean, there you go.
0: Oh really? That's amazing yeah, I, because Braveheart is not me.
2: good. No, it isn't. I gave it. I gave it a two out of five, and then people told me to go kill myself. I'm serious. What? It was. <laughs> it, was um, it was for. Um, no. It was for a taste of cinema, which obviously has a wider reach than I do. Because, like, if it was on my own feed for a film's fatale, that would be like some random people, but mostly people that I know. So it's like, you're telling me to kill myself because of Braveheart. I know you. Don't do that. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Yeah, uh, no secret. I don't care for Braveheart, and it's one of the worst Best Picture winners to ever win. And there I said it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, you know. No, I'm you, definitely not getting invited back. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't please everybody. Hey, you know, that's, know more man, of you an ins- that's more of an incentive to bring you back because, like, the uh, it's a... Uh, I don't know. It kind of almost go, aligns with the intention of her name, like prefer not to say there's a couple of reasons behind it. But it's like, you know, we you're willing to say the things that most people don't want to say, you know, most people, <laughs> you know, they don't some people probably wouldn't want to openly hate on Braveheart, but you're like, nah, mm-hmm. forget that. Well, the thing
2: is, I just don't want to come off as like a snob because there's a lot of like conventional stuff that I adore, like um, God, like. Even some of the Marvel stuff, I wouldn't say they're, like, my favorites ever, but, like, come on, like, um, the Spider-Verse film was, was like, brilliant, I think, especially for, like, a mainstream animated film. Like, come on, give me more of that. That was great. So there's a lot of, like, conventional stuff that that I do like. I just, I find that if you have to know when to be open about this type of stuff, uh, like, hating on movies that somebody might might like, because you don't want to make them feel bad. But at the same time, like I think, in, like in this venue where it's like, what what films do you hate? It's like, well, I hate this one. I'm not gonna lie about it. But I that's the beauty of it. There's a lot of films that I like that people think are are nonsense, and that's perfectly fine. That's that's the beauty of it. I don't like, think any less of somebody as a person for what they like. Um, it's all subjective. But you also can't, like, lie to yourself if you like something or if you don't like something. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And that's important for developing your taste, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. It's funny when uh people will, like, say, like, I'll like a movie and they'll be like, oh, I, I didn't really care for that. i would be like, oh, no, it's okay. You just don't get art yet. But it's a joke. I'm not like, it's like, you can like <laughs> whatever you want. But it's like, I like to be like, oh, that's okay. You just don't understand it. It's fine. You know, you'll you'll catch up eventually. But, yeah, I think it's like, because there's a lot of... um. I mean, you know, it's really interesting because Greg and I are kind of like opposites in a certain way when it comes to movies. Because it's like there's the stuff that's like even stuff that's even wily because it's like it w- this is a bad movie, but he'll love it. Like he played me some trailer, of some really bizarre, like weird B movie style, like movie from the 2000s. It's like about werewolves or something like that. And he was like, dude, I love this movie. And I watched this trailer and I was like, wait, what
1: is this? And, oh, no, was it werewolves? No. Now, now I'm trying to rem- remember what it was. No, maybe wait, was- hold up. Uh, is it? Was it? Uh, Aeon the Last Vampire? Is that what it was? It might have been. I've never even. Oh wait! Of oh, no! Maybe right. I've been thinking of it <laughs> it all together. Oh
0: know. no! Uh, there was also this other movie where it was like, I don't remember. It, you showed me a trailer for something, and it was like, it's one of those things you would literally just only find if you're at the video store, and you're like, maybe I'll give this a shot. But, uh, I don't know, I think but that's I'm a the sucker best. for
1: movies like that.
0: <laughs> well, it's awesome because we're also very open-minded. We're willing to watch whatever the other person suggests, mm-hmm. which is why we did our, um, you know, we did our, one of our first episodes was we watched two movies. I picked one and he picked one. He picked uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original, and I picked Upstream Color. Oh.
2: Which are both great films, by the way. Those are both excellent films. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, there are certain things he'll watch and it's like, you know, I'll watch this because he suggested it, but I know it's probably going to be bad. But it's like there's probably going to be a good quality about it. Why it's so bad, because it's like, you know, he he has no problem. Like, yeah, this might be garbage, but I think this is hilarious. And it's 100
1: percent there's there's no there's no shame in enjoying something that's uh, conventionally bad. You know, if it is, whatever you pull from it is, is what's important. You know, you can watch the worst film on earth and take one tiny little aspect of it and be like, I like this. And then that makes that film a good film.
2: Yes. And that's a very valid point. Like uh, two things. First off, my girlfriend and I, like we, we go to see uh, Tommy was those room. There are midnight screenings where you can like throw plastic spoons at the screen. You can like toss footballs around, you can yell during <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, you can absolutely. Like I have two different mental lists of the worst films ever. The ones that I hate and are like actually the worst or the ones that are bad but I love because they're hilarious. So, uh, you know, can I consider that the worst film? No, cuz I I got something out of it. I I didn't feel like I wasted my time with it and I think that's important. And in any film. And that's why I think ratings are or difficult they can be used pretentiously but i think i'm trying my best to use them um wisely even in a lot of bad things there's there's good so like showgirls again which let's not even discuss the story or the supposed symbolism that some of us think exists like myself that like the way it's shot and the editing that's why i can't believe that it's like one of the worst films ever made because there's it looks like it's well made in that front where it's like, it's edited cohesively. It's, it's shot properly. It's not like Tommy Wiseau where he had like five different cameras going and his film looks like five different movies. Like it is still fundamentally made to some degree. So that's why film gets really difficult. Cause it's like, do you dive too deeply into it? Is it the way that it's technically made that you like? Is it, Just the fact that you get something out of it. Everybody's watching for different reasons, and that's perfectly fine. I think that's beautiful.
0: Oh, yeah. I I love telling people that I love Freddy Got Fingered. I think that's (laughs) one of the, the that's like a classic bad movie, especially because like Tom Green had his moment and he took it.
2: See, that's one where, like, I haven't seen it since I was younger, so I I don't have a say on it because I've heard both things. I've heard that it's so garbage that it's not even worthy of being mentioned, but at the same time, it's, like, almost... Like postmodernist humor that it's so insane. I I don't remember much out of it outside right. of him playing the the organ with the sausages. Um, oh yeah, I don't I don't remember anything else outside of that. I was way too young to be watching that. So
0: or like um, I, I I love Joe Dirt, and that's that's oh. considered a bad movie. But I'm just like, you know what? There is something that was done right in every aspect of that movie in, in some capacity. It's like yeah, it's like it's ridiculous, but you know. I don't think David Spade has ever been utilized in a way that has ever helped him aside from Except his work that. with Chris Farley. Yeah, exactly. But this movie, it's like, it's okay. It's kind of dumb, but it's like, if you look at it, it's like, man, they really executed what they needed to, to make this movie what it was.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's tough. I think for that, like with that lens and I don't mean like the popular ones, like trolls Two and, and the room, uh, my version of a film that's like garbage, but like, I love it. Almost ironically, is Winter's Tale that one where like Colin Farrell can't die, and his uh, the 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 woman he fell in love with uh, dies after I think like Scarlet Fever, and he spends like hundreds of years. One. Oh, it's it's. There's like a flying horse. Um Will Smith plays the devil. It's like the most insanely stupid thing, but it's so hilarious. Like I can't recommend oh, yeah, now it. Okay, I like, gotta oh. see
0: this. Will Smith playing the devil. I'm already in. <laughs> for real.
2: <laughs> and like I'm like Russell Crowe's in it, which you know like 2010s Russell Crowe when he's like off his rocker is like always a good time. So. Oh.
0: Well, I think it's about that time for another water break. If you guys are feeling thirsty, it's, it's
2: always when I'm shitting on something. <laughs> right? That's that's, <laughs> the,
0: that's where we always end up each section. Before you go and rile them all
2: up, let's take a minute. Hot button issue. Let's. <laughs>
0: And we're back for the third section of this interview with Andreas Mm -hmm. Babilakis of filmsfatale.com. Before the break, uh, we were talking about really bad movies. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so what, what does the future have in store for the website? Do you have any, like, do you have like a list of like, do you have any sort of like framework of planning that you do uh, for the future?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like, Uh, basically the idea is I want this to be the Toronto hotspot for, for movies. You know, if it's a worldwide hotspot, I'm kind of competing with Slash, Rotten Tomatoes, um, you know, the Peter Traverses and, uh, you know, Roger Ebert's website, which is now run by other critics. Like that's kind of unrealistic. Um, I don't think I can compete with that, but what I can do is try and be my own additional voice. Which can be a part of this aggregate and taken seriously, which would be very interesting. So I would love if the website got onto like that type of level, and if um, my interviews only start to get better and better, and I get um, as many uh, guests as I can and uh, higher profile guests, uh, any anybody uh, that would be that would be good. I'm currently working on. This uh, decades project, where I'm going backwards in time, and every two months I'm releasing a top 100 of each decade. So that will finish in late 2021. Once I reach the silent era, and once that's done, my goal is to hopefully take that and perhaps all of the the best picture stuff that I've done. Like I've reviewed every best picture movie, and uh, maybe get that into like a a book release, signing something of that nature um some other type of prospects because I believe I mean that's that's a hell of a lot of work and and years put into this type of stuff. So uh that um I'm not copying you guys but I've always had the merch thing in mind as well. <laughs> but I'm kind of I'm kind of waiting on that. Um my idea is I want to get merch that people will actually want to buy and not just to promote the website but stuff that people will actually want to wear. So that's something I'm currently working on. Um, basically just Keep doing what I'm doing, but get better, get bigger, and uh, reach more. Is essentially it. And just once I've done the decade stuff, and that's established. Just keep doing the new stuff, the, the the reviews, and keep it going on that level. But the decades thing is exhausting. It's it's fulfilling, but it's exhausting. Let me tell you.
0: I mean, having to watch all those
2: movies. Yeah. So it's basically like every day I'm watching something. So like. um Yesterday I did the King of Comedy, which I haven't seen in ages. And sometimes I, that's another thing you have to revisit stuff to uh, to to see how you feel about it. But like when you discover new things, like two days ago I saw La Jean by um, Robert Bresson. It was like his last—I think it was his last film ever, or if not, it was like his last big film. That was like, oh my god, I've just discovered yet another amazing movie. So it's a very fulfilling experience to do this, but it's it's hard. Because, you know, you've, I've already seen so many things. So it's seeing a bunch of things that I either don't remember much about or don't know anything about that has such prestige attached to it that um it, it sounds really stupid to say, oh, no, you watch movies every day. Ah, but, like, fitting that in with my job or my various jobs, uh, my other responsibilities as, you know, an adult um, – it could be it could be very time consuming, but like you guys are with the podcast every week. It's like, nope, I have to fit in at least one. And some days I reach up to four, which at that point it kind of feels like a job. So it gets it gets exhausting. So <laughs> but once these two years are up and those are up there, I want there to be reputable lists where people go to them and it's like, while well, I might not agree with these, the guy clearly has put in his work that's kind of the idea where if I did a top 100 now, which I easily could, there'd be stuff on there that I don't feel comfortable saying is one of the best movies ever made. So I want to change that.
1: That's, that's, that's important. You know, that's, that's that integrity that's going to shine through and something that everybody should strive for.
2: That's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that there's integrity there. Cause like, at least if I know people aren't going to agree with my list, cause nobody's top 100s are ever going to match. They're just not mm-hmm. going to. And, um, You know, when I I hate something that somebody else likes or I love something that somebody else hates, that's just going to happen. But what I want is, like, I never agreed with everything that Roger Ebert said. And his, his incessant hatred for David Lynch, for instance, is one of those things. But I always respected what he had to say. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for as well. To prove that I know what I'm saying when it comes to my own interpretation, and it could at least be valued in such a way. And you don't necessarily have to agree, or if you do agree, I hope to introduce you to some things that you love. That's the other side of it.
0: Yeah, that's always a that's always good. You know, I always find it really funny with Roger Ebert because there's that little part in his career where he wrote a couple movies that were directed by Russ Meyer, and I'm like, okay, hold on. With all the things you say about certain things, you you worked with this dude on actual movies. And you're criticizing movies that you had nothing to do with, but you, you you worked with the dude who was the master of sleazy films. Yeah,
2: and that, that's the thing. Like some of e- Ebert's um, screenplays or like the things that he doctored are like, yeah, they're not just sleazy. They're like problematic, actually. So um, that's that's also not a good look to have, especially like right. now. Um, it, it, it's it's tough because like you could you could argue that's like the best that he could get but at the same time it's like you also did uh return of the valley of the dolls which is seen as like especially in 2020 uh an arguably homophobic movie so like you know that doesn't look great you know
0: well so uh i talk about what are you, what are your feelings on the state of the industry currently not 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 specifically pertaining to like the lockdown and everything like that but just in general where movies seem to be heading with all that's currently going on.
2: Um, it's it's in a weird spot. So it's... You've obviously got a lot of franchises which are hurtful but helpful at the same time. They're helpful because they're bringing in money that the, that the industry is losing. But they're hurtful because they stymie a lot of the artistic voices that could be heard on a wider scale. And it's in a weird limbo right now. And I think... Even though it's not what you asked, it's it's hard to not bring up COVID nineteen because I think the the extinction of the movie theater was something that a lot of studios were prophesizing or kind of waiting for to begin with, where it's like, yes, they can watch stuff in the comfort of the home of their own homes, we, we can cut costs on all these things. And there are people like I can't speak for everybody, but myself and 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 maybe you too. Where it's like we love going to the movie theater, we love seeing something on the big screen, and it's it's an experience. Um, but you know, especially with this climate, it's not even just a possibility that it might happen. It's a it's a, it's a scare that it might happen, and it's unfortunate because movies. I find video games, for instance, I wouldn't call myself a video game connoisseur. I know what I like but I'm hardly an expert, but they're a personal experience. You know, even if you're not playing on like multiplayer or anything, if you're playing like, by yourself, you're this hero trying to get through these levels, reach the end, do your thing. It's a personal experience where it's like, yes, I struggled on this boss and I did it. Movies can be personal, but the idea that they can also be shared that's what's going to be missing if this ever were to happen. Where you see something in a full theater, like one of my favorite things, um, is seeing like a Tarantino film on the big screen because each time you, you do it, it's like a spectacle. Like when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I won't spoil anything for those who haven't seen it. There were people like literally clapping throughout parts of the film, which you don't see in a lot of movies anymore outside of like, you know, the, maybe the Marvel franchise and Star Wars and stuff. Um, you know, there are there are certainly events, or, like, if you go into a move, movie blind, like, when I saw Moonlight Blind for my girlfriend and, and my anniversary, that was, like, oh, my God. That was, like, one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And that was on the big screen. It wasn't, like, in my living room. It was, like, on the big screen where all I could do was focus on this thing, and it sucked me in. That's going to be missing, and I hope that's not the case.
0: You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, this the once movie theaters open again people are gonna like flood toward it because it's like oh we can finally get out of the house and do yeah things. that's true I,
1: yeah i hope theaters as a concept don't die i mean one of the greatest tragedies of my youth was you know i mean james i'm i'm sure you felt the same way studio 28 shutting down oh yeah Horrible. that was uh that was I mean, like, you know that was a culture point
0: I mean, Celebration has, you know, obviously more theaters, mm-hmm. but just like it was, you know,
1: Studio twenty eight was like it was a, as, as an entire going to Studio Twenty Eight was less of going to see a film and more of a whole event like it. Yeah, the, I have not seen a theater to this day, except for maybe the, the huge theaters out in uh, Novi, Michigan. Um, that really compared, you know, I mean, the entryway, there's a, a whole a VR thing that's uh, that's set up, you know, the the old yellow bullet. Um, and oh, yeah. Then, their lobby was massive. Yeah. And they they had like what? Two arcades, like six concession stands it was just crazy. It was, it was well, a no, mega they had mall a, of theaters. They actually had
0: a there because it was because you walked in and then mm-hmm. when you would go and turn to your left to go down, there was screen one, which was the biggest screen. It housed a thousand mm-hmm. people. And then you go down and then towards the back of that area you'd go to the concession area and it was uh it wasn't like a counter it was literally like it was 300 it, it, it was actually a center point yeah it, it was an island and you could get get them from all uh from all sections so it's like mm. there was like it was like basically having like four different walls of concession so you could walk around it you know the bathrooms are there and then you'd walk off into another hallway and there's just all these other <laughs> all these other screens too and it was just there's just something about the building it was like you know it's almost something out of like a Oh, it's almost something out of fiction. It was like that impactful, but yeah, it's like when it closed down, it was just like, man, there there was
1: more to just going there than just seeing a movie. Yeah, and it was, I, it, it I was think, just a whole
0: experience.
1: I think even if theaters as a concept died, people would still would would find a way to watch communally, even if they had to like stream it or and and like like. Uh, like film parties, you know, like anytime you're like, oh, let's have movie night or whatever. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a digital equivalent. I mean, like you were bringing up video games as a single player experience. And well, that's true. A lot of them are even with the single player games. Like personally, I'm in a discord community where I'm constantly oh. like streaming my gameplay. And I, I, I don't play video games alone okay, is, what, okay. is, is what the what the end uh, result is. You know, so that's that's my communal experience in the in the lack of a theater.
2: That's true, though, and video mm-hmm. games are like a shared thing now, especially with Twitch and uh, a lot of multiplayer games. No, that's absolutely true. You're right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really interested to see. Um, I'm just hoping these theaters are open in July because um, Christopher oh, Nolan's Tenets.
2: Tenet. Yes,
0: it's it, they're counting on that July release, and I'm like, I really hope that's the movie that opens theaters because that's just just the trailers I've seen for it. I'm like, this is th- this might be his magnum opus.
2: Yeah, I. I think I already might have put together what it might be about, but I don't want to say, cause if I'm right, I don't want to ruin that experience for you,
0: <laughs> but well, it's, it's really interesting because it, it's like, there's obviously some concept of time reversal because yes. he always in all his original stuff, there's always some sort of weird temporal alienation that has to do with time. Yes. But just the fact that like, you know, the fact that John David Washington is becoming such a star is just, I love it so much. Cause it's like, you know, he is just as good if not may surpass his own dad. And, you know, for those who don't know John David Washington, he recently, uh, made a big impact starring in Spike Lee's, uh, black Klansman, black Klansman. but he's yeah. also, uh, he's uh Denzel Washington's son. And it, it's almost, you can definitely see that in specifically his acting and mannerisms.
2: Yeah. The apple definitely did not fall far, far from the tree with that. And, uh, I'm excited because I think he had like a football career before um before the whole acting thing started. But to see him yeah. acting, like I feel like he might have even been snubbed of awards attention for his role in Black Clans, but I thought he was actually spectacular. And um Tenet just to, to see him being like the star of this thing, I'm excited. And as you said, like the whole time reversal thing. Um I won't say much, but the fact that Tenet as a title is is a palindrome. I don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah. That's basically what I'm, all I'm going to say.
0: Oh, it, it doesn't have to be. I, I remember, Greg, I think you actually pointed out when I showed you the trailer. You're like, yeah, you know, it's like Tenet. It's like it's if you flip it reverse, it's the same thing. And I'm just like, OK, you know, it's going to be it's just classic Christopher Nolan. He's like he has this really interesting thing with time and he just knows how to he knows how to use it as a device. Like I've always liked his films. Mainly because aside from the stuff where it's obviously there's a lot of special effects, I like the limits. I like how he can push the limits of like you know just the human experience. Like um, I haven't showed a I haven't showed it to Greg yet, but Memento is a great example. Like actually, Greg, I'll ask if I were to tell you, um, how would you feel about a movie about a guy who's trying to find the
1: person who killed his wife? Um, I'd say that's a pretty standard plot that I've seen a thousand times. Okay, now what if I told you
0: the movie split in half? cut into pieces first half's playing it forward the second one's playing in reverse and they're shuffled together
1: I feel like that's a jigsaw puzzle like yeah that's a film with work
0: now what if I told you the main character suffers from anterograde amnesia and he can't create new memories and he's trying
1: to find the killer of his wife how's he keeping track that's he what like, how's, how's he keeping track of his progress
0: Oh, he has um. he does things like gets tattoos. He has he, he figures out how to condition himself. He's living out of a motel and he also has a police officer who's uh, helping him along the way. But the point okay. is, he cut the movie and shuffled together because he wants to put you in his experience of not being able to create new memories. Like every 20 minutes, his brain resets. OK. All right
2: yeah so he has like a map tattooed on part of him or like specific clues and other things he uses like polaroid pictures and quickly jots down what that last memory is And so then when he you see him in another scene he's like wait a second and he refers to either his arm or the polaroid he's like oh okay gotcha
1: okay so it's a
2: really trippy experience
1: couple questions about the film then yeah. when what? does he have the time to get the tattoo of the map because tattoos take longer than 20 minutes
2: um, well, I think they're he not goes, very big tattoos. No. Th- yeah. They're like small things. So like maybe like a layout of a, of a place or like, um, specific names that he wants to remember specifically, or like, I think, what was it on his wrist? It's like, find who killed your wife or something like that. He always sees that first and some, it's like, oh, wait a second.
0: Something like that. There, there's also yeah. some that he gives to himself instead of just going to a tattoo shop. Like if he's got to get it quick, he breaks open like an ink pen and starts like stabbing himself.
1: Hmm. I was gonna say my other question is at what point in, in his process does he create enough instructions to where he spends the whole twenty minutes just reading them?
0: He uh, he there's a point where he alludes that he's like conditioned himself to where he's kind of aware without being aware, but there's mm-hmm. also points where it's like not to spoil it for anybody, but there's there's hints that see he's an unreliable narrator, so you don't mm-hmm. actually know like exactly whether or not this much. is actually yeah, you you're kind of giving these clues like Okay, is there something else going on or like what's going on? Like what? There's a couple reveals along the way that, you know, kind of make things a little bit more clear or even confuse things. But um, just the idea, it's like, you know, this is a movie that's just a narrative film, but it's pushing the boundaries of like how you experience just your senses and not bogged down by a bunch of like special effects or what have you, which. It's like the opposite of Michael Bay.
2: Yeah, there's like nothing. There's like nothing like that in this, which is great. Yeah, (laughs) it goes without saying. I mean, um, yeah, that's why Memento is so special, because it's not just a gimmick. It's how far it goes with it. And you're led down so many wrong corridors, and you're like, okay, um, I think I know where this is going, but then you really don't. And so much of what you've seen is, is either incorrect or perhaps a lie but some of the things are still true so it becomes it's one of those films you basically have to watch like maybe once or twice not to understand but to appreciate where it's like wow i i get what's going on in all of these scenes
1: so
0: yeah i actually like uh nowadays where uh we're kind of getting more you know you can kind of combine the kind of more arts stuff with like something that's a bit more mainstream like take um Annihilation, for example. That's a movie pretty much a lot of people can love. It's like there's some questions to be asked, but overall, it's like it's got everything. It's like got like your weird, trippy sci fi stuff, but it also has this level of like the way it was put together is done in a way where it's like, okay, this is a little bit more than just like, oh, just the general sci fi flick. And not to mention, like, the acting is also incredible. I mean, they had a, they picked the perfect cast for that movie.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Annihilation is one of those films where it's it's a little bit polarizing, but I honestly think it's it's masterful. I think it's one of the best of the 2010s, and
0: I don't Greg, have you seen Annihilation?
1: Oh, yeah. The- oh, <laughs> when, I, I figured I assumed when, <laughs> when it when it was uh when it was available on Netflix in China, I used a VPN to put myself over there just to watch it. that's
2: the way to do it i actually saw it in in theaters it had a very short like two week or three weeks theatrical run so i made sure to see it in a theater first and i'm glad that i did it was amazing like when it cuts through the credits and all you see is like black and the fractal images are coming towards you and you have to soak in what you've just seen to be to see that in a dark room was like yeah i need this second oh yeah i saw it in theaters too Oh, it's amazing!
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I like I like how that uh, I like how that like the ending sequence almost played like a like one of those really avant garde PS one cutscenes.
2: <laughs> yeah, kind of actually. Like, it was almost
0: like video game. Like because I was watching, it, I was like, why does this look like one of those like, like those one of those weird games you happen to stumble upon? And it's just, like you watch it LCD like, simulator.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, what was it called? What was that Dream One called in Japan that I never made a toy over here? It was like LCD simulator or LSD simulator? I don't remember.
0: I don't know, but I'm intrigued
2: now. It was like this infamous game, and I, I've I've pl- I've played it on a uh, on an emulator because hey, you can't get it over here. You uh, it's PS One, so the graphics are obviously really dated right now. But like each day is like a, a dream, and you don't know what the hell's going on, and like there's no actual like service to this game. You just Go through some weird shit, and then the dream ends, and then you go to the next dream, and some other weird shit happens. Like I I mean, like flying lips in the sky, uh, the sky in a coat chasing you. Um, You're stuck in in like an island of nothing but brains. Like like nothing makes sense. Like it's like clearly nonsensical. So um, I I recommend if you have an illegal means of playing it, go ahead. (laughs) It's it's (laughs) worth it.
1: Greg, get on that. Whoa! What was it called? You said you don't remember. Or?
2: Oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it for us, so I, I can promote this um, this long forgotten game properly. Uh, LSD Simulator. Oh, LSD, LSD Dream, Dream Emulator. Emulator. There we go. Yes, okay. that's what it's called.
0: That's such a striking title. <laughs> I know,
2: but like, if you look at some of the images, you'll see what I mean. Like, this thing's freaking insane.
1: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's jarring. Okay, all right. I can't
0: you I there was some
2: members weird members. shit. Mm.
0: <laughs> so, uh, actually, uh, back to more talk on the website. Are you? Are there any plans to expand to a more multimedia experience? I know you had mentioned, like, you know, possibly doing like some sort of book format along the lines for some stuff. But uh, I don't. Do you plan on any like video content or doing any more like audio content, like you did with those like screenplay breakdowns?
2: I'm gonna definitely revisit the screenplay breakdowns here and there. Um, one of the things I want to do with the interviews is when I figure out a better recording setup, uh, not on my end, I hope I sound okay, Um, but like on all parties respective uh, on their ends, I'm still going to do the type up because I think that's something that some people prefer, but I would like to include the audio as well. And I think um, the, the interview thing, the goal of it was to eventually get to a point where I'm doing like, event press junkets where I'm like maybe on a red carpet interviewing people or I'm doing things in like a, in like a live setting. Um, that's kind of the idea, but like keeping it Toronto local again, because it's uh it's a Toronto geared website. So maybe at Toronto international film festival as a media representative, or um, there's a variety of things in Toronto, like the various Film festivals like Imagine Native, which is um, indigenous cinema. There's Inside Out, which is LGBTQ2 plus cinema. Um, there's uh, a lot of cultural and um, and stylistic types of festivals that happen here. And there's also a lot of events like the Toronto Screenwriting Conference where various screenwriters of, of acclaimed films and TV shows come here. And that's the idea, to try and get those maybe in video format we can have like a channel or audio format we can have them on the site um that type of format but outside of that i don't intend on too much multimedia stuff unless i'm able to um maybe do some of the master class stuff in video format outside of that probably not
0: okay wow so uh actually talk about uh you work because you uh Talk about your work with the Toronto International Film Festival, because I know you sure. started out like, you know, you've you over the years you've gone to it, but you've actually made it possible for you to actually work with them. Yeah,
2: so I did um in my master's program, you have to do an internship and a placement. The difference is an internship is like two months. Um, it's during the summer. It's pretty quick that the placement is like half a year as if I'm like actually working there, but I'm also doing my thesis. So I chose tiff which it almost became like a running joke in my in my class because uh, everybody knew that's where i wanted to go everybody else wanted to go to like amsterdam to to try and save some films over there or they wanted to preserve lgbtq plus stuff in um in queer archives in montreal like there were a lot of like progressive things that people wanted to do i wanted to focus more on the um my thesis was on something called film ephemera. So the stuff that you throw away with film. So basically film tickets, um, screenplays and drafts, um, letters to production companies, why I think all of that stuff is important in a film archive or to the preservation of film history. So um, I I wanted to go to TIFF and, you know, it also became a joke. Like we get it under us. You want to go to TIFF? Uh, so <laughs> luckily I was able to get in through that and, because of my placement there, and I hopefully did a good job with uh, cataloging of, um, I was working on the paper documents of Adam O'Goyan, who is a Canadian filmmaker. Um, he, hopefully because of that, um, and my thesis doing so well there and representing TIFF so well, uh because I applied to work at the festival for a number of years, but the idea is you have to volunteer for a number of years before you can actually work there. But I think because of this, um, I kind of got an in for actually working there and I worked as a standard usher for one of the festivals. And then um, the year afterwards I was promoted to like a managerial position where I had to kind of like deal with what was happening on the red carpets Um in, like, one venue, uh, by the way, not all of them, but, like, one venue at a specific time. Um, handle the what was happening on, on the red carpets, um, whatever was happening in the foyer, if there was, like, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Because TIFF is a, is, a, is a madhouse. Like, a lot of stuff is happening. And because of that, I work year-round now, not as anything super major. Um, I, I kind of do, like, cinema-related stuff, like, just, um, you know, like... Q like question to the answers that guests might have, uh, cinema related stuff. So it's like a side gig more than anything, but uh festival. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And if either of you can like come up during festival, just to like see what it's like, cause like there's other film festivals, but TIFF is like about the people. So it's very much about like the guests. So if you guys can come up at any time, I highly recommend it. Maybe not this year, this year is going to be hectic, but eventually like, uh, yeah, come say hi. Um, I'll recommend some good places for you to stay, some good films to check out. What
0: is the plans for this year considering what's going on? Yeah, I as an employee, I
2: actually can't say too too much actually okay. but the yeah. idea is um, the idea is they're still trying to figure something out and that's basically all I can say is that they're trying to figure out something and they have a possible understanding of how they can go about it. But I I obviously can't divulge more more than that, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, not going to lie. Full disclosure, our original plan was to try to actually make a plan to go to the festival this year and actually do this interview with you in person. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. But considering all the stuff that happened, that's not really – the way things went, it doesn't really – D- isn't really going to work out like that. But yeah, that was a plan. Cause that's why I'd asked you, I I was asking you stuff about the festival earlier. Cause it's like, I wanted to try to go out there, but it, you know, obviously probably won't happen this year. But yeah, that my original plan was to actually go out there so we could do like an in person thing and then like do an episode about our experience there. But yeah, the, the COVID happened and kind of threw some things off and I was like, you know what? Not the time to try to travel right now. No,
2: <laughs> but next year that would be fantastic and oh, definitely
0: plan on a next year because I've, I've always wanted i've always wanted to go to a film festival at tiff is a very
2: good one to start like obviously like the, the dream is to go to like con or something but um Tiff is is good because again it's so much about the people. Like it's user choice voting when it comes to like the winning film, and um, the red carpets are like on the streets, so you can like attend the red carpets and like try and get signatures and pictures. Like you can take part in Q's and A's with with the filmmakers and the actors. So it's it's very much a user based experience, and I mean it's kind of around the corner for you guys. Kind of, it's a bit of a drive, but I fully recommend it.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's a. The plan is eventually go out there, you know, go out, go out there. And then eventually when I, when I start making my own films, hopefully showing them there.
2: Yeah, that would be, that would be a fantastic achievement. And then I can, I can try and gear everybody to, to go to your film and be like, yo, check out this guy. He, he put up with my shit for two hours one day. It was great,
1: <laughs> man, one day, nothing. You're going to be back on this show. You'll see.
0: Yeah, we'll figure. We'll we'll have to figure. You know, we might end up coming up with some sort of like spinoff series that just includes you integrally. I would love that.
2: And, like, uh, without giving too much away, like, I'm something I forgot to bring up, something I want to include on the website is like a film related podcast. So, yeah, that's something that I, I would love to absolutely do because, as you can tell, I can't shut up about this subject. So, yeah, right. I think I mean, I the written word that.
0: only goes so far. So, if you can yes. actually, like, have people hear your voice, hmm.
2: Exactly, like, and not just um, what I do where, where I'm just kind of describing or dissecting a screenplay by myself. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of a bore when I do that. When I'm bouncing off other people and I become like a five-year-old who's discovered candy, yeah, I mean, that's that's where I I shine or annoy. I don't know. It depends on what you guys think when you listen. So. Right.
0: Well, I think it's about the time we're going to start wrapping this up. So uh, is there any advice that you have for anybody who wants to get into film? the capacity that you are and also do you have any advice for anybody who wants to start their own website?
2: Yeah okay so you mean like um, analyzing film like strictly the uh, the critical side of things or?
0: Not just that but just like maybe a well-rounded like you want to kind of dip your toes in everything like you know it doesn't have to okay. be completely analytical but just like a way for people to like find a way to appreciate films more than they probably could ever expect to.
2: Yeah okay so if you have the means to do so which I know it's not at everyone's disposal. If you have the means to do so, I recommend taking at least like a non-major class in university or trying to find something online. And that's why I'm trying to do the master class so I can give some of these lessons for free and you don't have to really enroll in them. And I don't know if I can offer as much as a university course can, but I will certainly try my best to, to try and open eyes and offer this, um, viewing films in a different way, because if you watch something as one whole thing, as opposed to what does this shot mean? What does this cut mean? What's this transition? What's this angle? what What's this inflection? You know, it's a completely different way of watching it. So, um, But if you have the means to do so, I highly recommend if you like movies, even doing like a, a non-major film 101 class, and it's like, wow, I never really thought of watching movies this way. The only thing is, I have to be honest, you might start to dislike a lot of movies that you like, which happened to me very often. Um, so if you don't have the means of doing that, there's a lot of online alternatives, or if you're not into like wanting to just like sit and listen to somebody talking about movies, the best thing you can do, and the thing that I did even before I was trying to study in a in, in university, uh, best of lists. Seek out as many as you can and try and figure out which ones sound interesting and watch them. Even if they're crap, realizing something you don't like is part of your taste. It, it, it's what sculpts your palate, And uh, there are a few that like I can recommend, like Slant has a lot of good lists. Um, Time Magazine, I think was a really good starting point with their top 100 for me. I think it's like top one t- 130, 120 now, because they added like 20 more, I think. Um, that was a very good starting point for me. And another thing is don't be afraid of challenges where if something seems like it'll be very difficult to watch, but you're interested, go for it anyways. Even if, even if you don't like it, again, it's it'll define your taste. And um, basically just keep watching, but stepping outside of your comfort zone. If I kept watching horror films, I don't know where I'd be today in terms of this if i had my own horror film website i don't know like i don't even know like i don't know the point is i'm very proud of how i feel about cinema now and i'm i'm able to love every genre every style every era and all of that comes from just watching just stepping out of comfort zones just keep going at it and trying to figure out what filmmakers you like what styles in particular you might like um, what what feels refreshing? And if you're trying to start a website, all I can say is just do it. If you have the means to to pay for a platform like GoDaddy or uh, WordPress Pro or Squarespace or Wix, I think is one, one of them. If you have the means of going about that, I highly recommend it. If not, do one of the free blogs because even with WordPress, when I first started, I was getting 25,000 in one year, which for a first year a guy just spewing out nonsense online is fulfilling and even if it doesn't really go anywhere too far as long as you're doing it for yourself and you feel fulfilled because at the end of the day you know success is is subjective in a way it's the numbers you get and everything but at the same time it's how well you are proving to yourself that you're doing what you want to do so i don't know how well my decades lists are going to do for instance but for me it's one of those things where I'll feel fantastic about it one, one day when I go, and it's like as a cinephile, I can't believe I did all of that, but I'm proud that I did. So just keep trying, and even if the numbers don't go, go up as quickly as you want, as long as you're doing it for yourself and you feel proud of what you're doing and you're happy and you want to keep going, do it. You know, we only live one life, and we don't know um, – what a success is going to be like success. Success is part luck. It's hard work, but it's part luck. And you can't do hard, hard work unless you're proud of what you're doing. So I hope that.
0: Yeah, I can agree that with works. that. Yeah. Uh, also for I the like listeners, it. if you, if, if you want a good, uh, aside from the sources he had mentioned, obviously go to his website. Oh, well, if you want to learn, <laughs> if you want to learn a lot about film, Well, thank uh, you. yeah. Yeah. Films It's a uh, www dot, you know, it's spelling it would be, F-I-L-M-S-F-A-T-A-L-E dot com. Um he, he's constantly posting articles. E- even in the even during the coronavirus era where not a lot of films are being shown and there's only you only have pretty much restricted to what streaming services have to offer. He has found a way to make a lot of really creative fun articles for consumption.
2: Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And um if you're interested in that Raptors podcast, uh I don't know. Uh, if you're if you're Detroit fans, uh Pistons, um, there's kind of a connection. You have Dwayne Casey now who used to coach us, so I guess there's that. We are that's a rap pod. Um rap as an RAP, not like a like a chicken Caesar rap. <laughs> um th- that's on uh, RaptorsHQ.com, And you can also find us on various platforms like Podbean and all of that. So um yeah, uh, there's also that. But yeah, mainly filmsfatale.com. I'm currently working on my top 100 films of the 80s, which should be coming out in August. So. Um I thank you both for having me on i I truly appreciate it, and I hope I wasn't being too much of a of a snobbish idiot and uh, <laughs> hey, we're
0: glad to have you I mean, like I said, you were one of the first people I had in mind to interview because like you know just reading your articles and just interacting with you as a person, I was like, you know what this dude's going places we gotta highlight him, you know, and it's you know gonna open up the opportunity for us to do more work and you know it's definitely uh yeah, it's definitely uh i I'm definitely really glad we have this platform to highlight people that we want to see successful while we're trying to be successful. You know, it's, you know, that's, that's the, one of the main reasons we started the pod. It's like, yes, is it an opportunity for us, for us to find our own success? Yeah. But it's, you know, an opportunity to help other people. Like, I mean, we've got, you know, a couple of things in the works that we can't really talk about yet with, with people that, you know, we're in correspondence with, but you know, this, the whole idea is to build this network. Um, Actually, you know, reference the joke. We uh, we're trying to build a solar farm and everyone's a panel except the, the the panels are uh, made of legos okay okay i see yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's <laughs> a little out of context episode, it sounds <laughs> weird but it, it's context, it's out of context but the, the point is like yeah we're trying to get all these solar panels and you know trying to pr- provide energy for everybody
2: yeah that makes sense yeah and i would obviously love to come back if you guys would have me yeah and uh, oh
0: yeah definitely we'll make it
2: happen i just hope that a lot of people don't uh don't misattribute my my um stone-faced sarcasm for for me actually being pretentious i'm not i swear i i am accepting oh, of you, all <laughs>
0: styles
2: if, all if you heard
0: some of the things that greg says sometimes it's like trust me you're pretty safe yeah <laughs> okay.
1: you're good you're
0: good, good greg is pretty raw on everybody especially with the past few episodes because we had a uh, you know a few episodes where he had a uh, spoke our thoughts about the current situation oh that could
2: only get dicey i'm sure mm-hmm.
0: well yeah i'd say that's a uh, it's about that time thanks everybody for listening we hope you enjoy the interview you know expect mm-hmm. more of these now that we found a way to do remote interviews and we're going to be doing a lot of them but like I said this is a, a, a we interviewed uh, our interviewee we'd like to thank you it's Andreas Babiolakis again of filmsfatale.com oh my uh, pleasure. we'd love to have you we're definitely planning to have you back and yeah that's the show for today and as always stay hustling and stay hydrated peace